learned how to meditate. That is on my list. It's on a bucket list. I've got to learn how to meditate, but it's totally true. You are doing nobody any favors and you can't feel guilty about it. People feel guilty. It's like, oh my gosh, I have 80 hours of work to do. I can't go to the gym or I can't go sit down and read a book for 45 minutes or I can't, whatever it is that replenishes your soul, that's different for all of us. You've got to keep and maintain. I mean, I'm 55 years old and I can still hike 15 miles a week. No problem. I think I have the same energy I had 10, 20 years ago. But so much of that is how do you take care of yourself to make sure that you're not just there for your team. You're also there for your family and friends and other people too. Welcome to the Rising Leader Podcast, bringing forth the new wave of rising leadership and helping leaders find purpose, connection, and results. This is your host, founder of Alluviance, Alex Kremer. All right, welcome back to the Rising Leader Podcast. And if this is your first time joining the show, welcome. We are so excited to have you. This is your host, Alex Kremer. And I am so excited for today's conversation. We have the absolutely wonderful and amazing Miss Anna Baird. So first off, Anna, what up? Good to see you. Oh, so good to see you too and hear your voice. <laughs> it's been too long. <laughs> it has been too long. Well, the good part about having you on this podcast is we've been able to have like a couple of conversations and text a little bit here and there. So like, oh, it's what's up, Anna? So as a little bit of background and introduction on who you are, Anna, you and I go way back, I guess, to 2017 when I joined Outreach as an account executive, uh, I believe at that point you were the COO of Outreach, or were you yet the CRO back then? You you, you were the, both the CFO, the COO, and the CRO, and I think you played every single type of C-level role at Outreach as possible. Uh, no, it was almost. You actually beat me by a minute because I joined January of 2018, so I think you had joined right before that. I joined as COO. I did own finance. I was also the CFO. But title is COO and then CRO in 2019. So it was a journey. It was a journey. So you led the growth of outreach from below 25 million to up and to the right of 250 million and beyond. Now you are a board member at both SEMrush as well as SeatGeek. You are operating partner at Madrona and limited partner at the Operator Collective. I think what I, I really love about what you're doing now is you're working with CEOs and leaders at younger slash earlier stages companies to really help them with their go-to-market strategies and all these different types of things. On a personal note as well, I feel like whenever you and I would have a one-on-one conversation, it would always be scheduled for 30 minutes because you were back-to-back. But for some reason, they always went at least an hour to an hour and a half. And I always left feeling like extremely energized, but also like, wow, we just talked about everything possible under the sun. And I always love the conversation. So I'm excited to like have one of those, but record it for other people uh, to hear and to receive some of the, the wisdom from you as well. That's awesome. No, we were, there's mutual benefit in those conversations. So I kind of want to just go back to at least when we initially met. So that 2017, 2018 era, when outreach was very Early on, we had just started to become kind of a a product market fit. We just started to hit some momentum. We started to have our sales team be more invested into. You started to operationalize our business. And you grew that through many, many different stages, many, many different eras. And now at this point, you are spreading 
that knowledge and that wisdom to people who are doing that same path and that same endeavor as you. I guess my question is this, is what is that like? (laughs) Like, it's one thing to be an account executive who's at a stage of company like that. It's one thing to be a frontline sales manager at a company like that who's going through that crazy growth. It's another to actually be leading the helm of it, to be actually running it. So it's a very open-ended question, but it's a purposefully very open-ended question of what's it like to lead a company that's going through this hockey stick growth like that? It's hard as hell and the most fun you'll ever have in your entire life at the same time. It's insane. We talk about work-life balance. We talk about how do we bring our best selves in. You and I have talked about that a ton. We talk about how do you replenish your soul to make sure that you're good in those moments because when things go crazy, if you go crazy with them, it does no one any good, especially if you're the leader. It takes everything. It takes your soul, takes your heart, takes every bit of your brain to make all those things go. And it was incredible, incredible ride. And to your point, I'm trying, this is my pay it forward piece of my career. I'm trying to teach others how to identify the mistakes earlier and how to take advantage of the opportunities faster than uh, maybe we did. (laughs) So when you joined at that stage of the company, you had already led multiple tech companies from a C-level position. But when you got to outreach, Did you feel a sense of, oh, my God, I have no idea what I'm doing? Does the imposter syndrome still live and breathe within you when you are at that stage? 100% for all of us. It's funny. You talk to CEOs and they say that, too. That's the one C I haven't done and won't. (laughs) I'm done with my C-level titles. It is, you know, every day because the challenges are real and you, you think about the pandemic, I mean, especially, you know, hitting things like that. I mean, I took on CRO in summer of 2019, the pandemic hit the next spring. We had just opened up a UK office. It was like, there's no one who's done a pandemic, right? There's no one. <laughs> so not only do you have imposter syndrome, but there's nobody who can even give you advice on what to do because it had never happened before. And it's like, what do you do in this market? I, nobody knew. So you have imposter syndrome as, and on top of the fact that you're like, I just have to groundbreaking figure this out because there's no one to help figure it out. And it's my job. I have to help this team both mentally and from a business perspective. And that was new in the marketplace. None of us at my age and stage, you didn't talk politics at work. You didn't talk mental health, social issues. Then we were talking about all of them at the same time. It was insane. So I think we all have that at every stage. I think what you do is you get over it faster. You just like, I got to just hunker down and get this done. And, and I think you just start getting, you learn to get over it faster. Well, I mean, I'm assuming you have to start taking ownership of, hey, I don't know what the right answer is, but I do need to make a decision here. We do need to determine and you have to be willing to say, I'm not sure if it's the right decision, but we need to make a decision. You know, it's such a great highlight, Alex, because I was talking to somebody who's actually one of the executives from Outreach, and I said, one of the most important things you can do for your team is tell them you don't know the answer. Mm. Don't know all answers. They need to have permission to also say they don't know. It's okay not to know. It's not okay not to try and not to have come with a perspective and not to go, okay, here's what I think. What do you think? And there were many, many times where it's like, I don't know what we need to do next, but here's what we're going to try. Anybody have another idea, another perspective, because then it gives everybody permission to show up and go, I may not be right, but I'm going to try. I'm going to come with an idea. I'm going to come with a thought. Because if you pretend like you know everything all the time, everybody feels like they have to pretend they know too. And we don't. And you don't get to the best answer if you're all pretending you know the answer. (laughs) Diversity of thought, you need to open up the floor and showing 
the cracks in your ability to say, I don't know this, I think just gives everybody else the permission to do that too. Would you say that it's hard because obviously the further up you go, the further away you are from the front lines and the deal. So you don't actually know what's happening. And so your job, I'm assuming, is to ask the right questions to all the people who are on your direct leadership team. And hopefully they're asking the right questions to whoever's on their leadership team and so on down the line. And your job is just to, again, this is me assuming, and and there's a question here. It's like, is your job just to gather all the data and be the final one to say, this is what we should do based on me getting everybody's input? Or do you just need to sometimes come in and say, this is what we're doing. I don't care what you say or what you're saying is going on the front lines. Like, this is what we're doing. Because that's two different sides of the thing right there. And both are true. Uh, That's the thing. You have to be flexible as a leader too. You have to know, you have team members and there's books out there, One Minute Manager and some of those, which I thought were really stupid when I first read them. And then they come back to me all the time. It's like every person on your team needs something different from you. They're not all the same backgrounds. And especially as you get to these C-levels and VPs and director levels, managers, you're managing a team of humans who all have different experiences, who don't need the same thing from you in every conversation. They don't. And so part of it is, who am I talking to? What do I know that they've done? What is my history with them? What do I bring to the table that based on the facts and that bit of information to help us take the next step? And sometimes I do need to dive into the deal and be there to hear the facts on the ground. Sometimes I know that we've gotten enough here and I'm like, they need me to these three options. What should we do? They need leadership to go, hey, help us point in direction. And sometimes depending on, again, the team and the situation and the individual leading on the ground, you're like, I know you guys heard all this, but they're not right. And I've got to take us this direction. You've got to trust me and we're all going to go in this together. And so all of those are true. Part of leadership is listening. It is getting in detailed with your team to understand on the ground, how are they operating? So you build your foundational trust of how much can you let go versus dive in and where are their weaknesses? So where do you need to dive deeper with that individual person to make sure that they've covered where you know sometimes they have gaps and making sure as we set direction, where do we have the weak spots? Where where are we strong? And making sure that that is foundational to the decisions you make on the leadership you give. Where'd you learn that? Did you have a specific leader that you're like, ooh, this is important for me to learn from this person? Is it just part of your DNA? It's funny. Actually, Manny, our CEO and I had this conversation a couple times and you hear this in negotiation skill courses. I've been at Harvard and Wharton and taking courses from people who wrote books. And a lot of it is just shut up and listen. <laughs> we all forget to do it, especially in sales, right? It's, like it's hard to not, and as a leader, to just shut up and listen. I still remember there was this negotiation author who did this whole book at Wharton. And I was taking this class. I was, it was an executive class when I was a partner at KPMG. And they gave us a six weeks of time for executive courses at Wharton. And he was teaching this class and you had three people negotiating. One person wanted the eggshell of the chicken egg, one wanted the white and one wanted the yolk. And there was the person who was selling the eggs. And you all, what you didn't realize is each of you needed something different, but you all wanted the egg. So you're bidding against each other when you actually didn't need to because you wanted different pieces of that actual egg. And he was one of the key lessons of that was stop talking and listen to what people are saying. What do they really want? What do they really need? What problem are they solving? And as the seller, what is it that they want to sell? What is the optimal outcome for them? And that night, I still remember I had a call with Google and I went back up to my hotel room and I'm on this call with Google. And I was like, I just need to shut up. 
I sat and didn't talk for almost 20 minutes. It killed me. But I walked out of that with a $2 million deal. It was, he just kept talking about what he needed and kept going and going. And it was a phenomenal lesson. But when you're a leader with your own team, it's the same. You've got to stop and listen and understand what are the real dynamics and ask questions that are open-ended so you get a little deeper. I think I'm a decent listener, but I also learned that in consulting. I was a partner at KPMG. I was in consulting. I did a lot of listening to get, I had to figure out the project. I wasn't selling a product. I was selling a whole bunch of services and we had to sell them and then deliver them. It was just that evolution of stopping going, okay, how can I help? So I've got to listen to make sure I understand how I could help best so that I can obviously sell the services we need to sell. So part of it was that, I think, but I also like people. I'm a people person and I appreciate some of the differences. I grew up on military bases all over the world, very diverse. My stepfather was not a officer. He was an you know, enlisted sergeant, drill sergeant. I could I can bounce a coin off of the sheets on the bed if you actually need me to. But I think it's growing up with a lot of different people and all over the world and all over the United States, just the appreciation of the diversity that's out there. It's interesting when people move into a leadership position. I know at least this was true on my end. I was an account executive for a year at Outreach, and then I moved in to help to build out our SMB team. And I thought, okay, now that I'm in this sales manager role, I need to just tell everybody everything that I know. And I remember it was my first time leading team meetings. And I think I had three, maybe four team meetings. And a majority of it, probably like if there was a gong recorder or a Kaya recorder on it, it said it would say like 80% talk time is Alex. And I would get out of these meetings. I'm like, I feel like I talked about some really good stuff, but like it feels a little stale. And I still remember a guy named Vernie on our team came up to me after the fourth meeting. He's like, Alex, you open to some feedback. He's like, I think you can maybe like get other people talking in this because we understand, you know, it, but like we want to show that we know it too. I was so grateful for the feedback because I was still very much a, you know, a deer caught in the headlights of, okay, I'm apparently a manager now and everybody has to know everything I know. But the most important part is it's not my job to know everything. It's my job to create a space and environment that allows for collaboration for everybody to get to know and to conversate about it together. That's so huge because I think people think they listen because they're quiet. And then the way they ask questions shuts down the conversation too. So there are meetings where I think, and we have a lot of the super aggressive culture in sales. It's like, why did you do this? And when did you do that? And then they're like, you just tell me, tell me, tell me. And that doesn't open up that environment that you just hit. So it is not just about listening. It is how you ask questions and how you engage that also gives that permission and the space to be vulnerable, to talk about things you don't quite understand or where you need help and to bring ideas that you're not sure whether they're great or not, but you know, put them on the table. You've got to make that space and also a healthy way. And I think that's also huge. I mean, there's a lot of coaching I've done for very senior leaders where I see them getting upset or aggressive in a discussion and I'm like, you are shutting down any kind of feedback you were going to get and they're going to go do this. It's not the right thing because they're afraid to say anything. It is also how do you create that culture of it's okay to be you and authentic in this conversation. I expect you to be prepared. I expect you to have accountability, but I also expect you to push some limits and be. it's okay to be vulnerable and fail a little bit because we're going to work through that together. Coming unprepared is not acceptable. Coming and saying inappropriate things obviously is not acceptable, but coming and saying, okay, I don't know all the answers, but here's some things I'm thinking. That is great. 
And so how do you create that environment where that's okay? And that is something that people learn about you as a leader. And the more people hear it, the more authentic they become, the more vulnerable they become because they hear, oh yeah, they're that way in all these meetings. People like to meet with them because they have this opportunity. So doing that is just foundational. I think it's part of what you're asking is like, if a meeting is getting too aggressive, how do you pull it back as a leader? How do you take somebody aside who's creating also that environment in a meeting and say, you want to do a one-on-one to have a more intense conversation? We can do that, but you don't do it in front of 10 people, five people, whatever. And what outcome do you really want here? Because you're not going to get it with the way you're asking this question. You as a leader also have to watch other leadership styles that are in the room to make sure you're helping create that consistency of dialogue too. And it's a balance. That's so good. You know, as you were sharing that, my thought process was going to ask the same question you did is like, well, then how do you create the environment that people feel safe to share stuff that might be edgy, that might be wrong, but it's a collaborative environment? My first thought goes to it's actually not how you're showing up in the meeting that creates that environment. It's how you show up in every other area that creates that environment. How are you showing up if you go into an office, how you just do you give someone a fist bump or do you just cold shoulder them as you walk by? Is the Slack chatter going on quite a bit? You know, it's going so far to say that, are you using emojis? I'm just normal. I'm a human being here. And if you're showing up that way outside of that 60 minute intense meeting, people will show up and trust you more as a leader. And obviously you need to create a strong environment and space within the actual meeting itself, but it's outside of the meeting that determines how that actual meeting goes. The most successful organizations, I believe, are based on mutual trust and respect. And I tell people this all the time, you don't get results from people because you scare them or berate them, or you get results from people because they don't want to disappoint you because they respect and trust you. And because you respect and trust them, they're going to go do their best work. And I think that is just so huge. You're right. It's every single interaction you have. It isn't the one, you know, what you are in a certain meeting. It's what you are in every meeting. It's what you are in that interaction in the hallway. It's what you are when you, you know, happen to run into somebody at Safeway, right? Like, it's all of those things that make a difference. And it's just obviously foundationally, are you a good human being? Good human beings also can make great leaders. Good point. Got to bring all that to the table, though. Some people are afraid to. Oh, I can't be vulnerable. Yes, you can. People will trust you more because you work. Mm -hmm. I still remember it was like the heart of COVID and we had an all hands and Manny got on the all hands and he said, hey, guys, I just want everybody to know I'm struggling right now. And I just feel like it's important for me to share, like I'm struggling, like especially with my daughter being home, like all this sort of stuff. And I remember when he said that, I was like, oh, my God, I can breathe. I was like, our CEO is struggling. Like, I can struggle. It's okay. And that just created so much more trust in in you and Manny and Mark and the entire leadership team because he chose to admit it himself. Yeah. We're all human. And knowing someone is human lets you a little bit in. We're all figuring this out together. As a leader, you're bringing things to the table. So not everything is figured out, but it is. I do think it's also just being like, take a breath and relax for a second sometimes. Just be in the moment and stop and make a joke. Ask about a kid, ask about the weekend, give everybody a minute to talk about something besides the topic. And the topic could be a forecast call and that could be very intense. But do you start in a moment? I still remember I was having this super, super intense call with one of our managers. 
and it was not going to be a good call. There were some bad found patterns that had arisen and they were a newer manager to the company. And I asked them to come prep for this meeting to explain to me what happened their series of facts. And I said, what you're telling me doesn't make sense. So you need to go away and come back with a different story. And we're going to meet and you're going to walk me through what happened. And here's the parameters that you're going to have to use to do that. So you get on the call and obviously the VP's there, CRO's there, Mark was there, their VP. And so we're having this call and you can tell they're nervous and they're starting to get into their presentation and they'd done a nice job. They'd done a nice job. It was a bad situation, but they did a really good job of the analysis of here's what happened. Here's why it happened. And here's what I'm going to do to fix it. I stopped and was like, you know what? I wasn't sure if this call was going to be the stairway to heaven or the highway to hell, but that was way better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and you can just tell you like the relief, just so I still remember we're on a Zoom call, right? But I just see him going... Oh, thank God. Like, I'm not getting fired. And, yes. But it's like, you've got to also give everybody a moment to just like, okay, just take a breath. Even if it's a super tough situation, as a leader, giving that moment of levity so that they can, like, it was okay to make a mistake. Let's not do that again. Right. And here's, you need to go execute against X and Y. So I think there's, you know, how do you bring that to the table? And there's times where I felt like I have actually physically had to say to the team, you are all the right people to be in this room. What happened wasn't good. How are we going to fix it? So they don't, they take off the table. I'm going to get fired. <laughs> We're all in sales, right? There's a, the thing is real. The numbers don't lie. And so it's, but how do you create a moment to go? I'm giving you, don't, I need you to stop thinking about this. I need you to focus on what we're doing right now. I trust you. I believe in you. You are the right person, but let's figure out how we move forward. And I think sometimes that also we forget to do. This is not a planned question here, but one thing about you that I've always admired is I don't know if I've ever seen you tired. And and that's a hard thing to do. I mean, I get tired just being on back to backs. I remember just looking at your calendars and it would be 30 minutes, 40, 30 minutes back to back to back to back. I mean, it was just insane. And every single meeting that I would have with you, you'd always come in smiling and you'd always come in with a lot of energy. And I loved it. And I was like, okay, I would always leave not drained. I would leave at a higher frequency or vibration. Are you just like that? <laughs> or do you have like a, a coffee drip directly in your vein? Like, how are you actually taking care of yourself? You show up from that energy because that's probably one of the most important things a leader can do is show up energized to a point, grounded, but energized. This episode is brought to you by Alluvians. Alluvians is helping sales professionals and sales leaders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. Last year, we threw over four retreats and helped over 150 tech sales professionals, leaders, and founders. And next, we got it going on May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas area. So make sure you apply to alluvians.co to check it out for more. How did you take care of yourself and do that? It's a really good question. And you have probably heard me talk about this, but there's two things. Not every day do you feel that way. So I don't drink a lot of coffee. I drink one cup a day. So I'm not a big caffeine person. I don't drink Cokes. I'm not a soda person. So it's not artificial. <laughs> there's no there's no illicit drugs or... That was my real question. Is this artificial? <laughs> We're going there. Now, I... Um, I think there's a point in my life where, and we all have to do this for ourselves. There are two things, I think, quite honestly. One is there have been times where I've been angry or upset or frustrated. 
And if you think about the drain that is on you physically, it is way harder to be angry, upset, or frustrated than it is to be happy. It is way more draining on you personally to be angry than it is on you personally to be happy. For me, there was a pivotal point where I'm like, I need to give myself that moment to like, I'm going to start this in a positive way because that is a way healthier place to be and try not to let it go negative. And it's like, that's conscious. I think every day and every meeting and every discussion is like, how do you try to bring your best self? Because not only is that good for the meeting, it's good for you, good for your soul to be positive. It really is. And I also had, when I was a partner at KPMG, when I finally left, I was a senior vice president at McAfee. So we were a $2 billion public company when I went in and they gave all the SVPs and above a coach. It was the first time I'd ever had a coach. And I still remember her name was Lily. She was like five feet tall. She was a little spitfire. And she had me take this test called the Burke Ben. It's sort of like a Myers-Briggs, but it's like 500 questions. It's insane. We get to the next meeting and she's like, so how much were you outside this week? And where was music in what you were doing? I'm like, what does this have to do with me being senior vice president at McAfee? And she's like, Anna, these are the things that the Berkman showed me were things that you love art, you love music, you love being outside. Because the questions all there, because there was a lot of weird ones, like which things of this would you prefer to do? I was like, why is it asking me this stuff? And she said, you have to fit things that she calls those things that replenish your soul every week or you are not going to show up as the best leader you can be. And I talk about the crazy cycles. Like if things are going crazy and you're totally stressed out and not balanced, you walk into that crazy cycle and you make it crazier. And that is never, ever, ever healthy. You are the person that if the room's at a 10 of stress level, you are bringing it down to a seven. That is your job. Every time you bring the stress levels back way up, you're never going to have a productive meeting. For me, I hike, I love to be outside, I love to cook, I do love music. Even when I was working crazy hours every week, I was like, I've got to get outside and get a five-mile hike in. And I would do it three times on the weekend. I'd get three five-mile hikes in on the weekend just because sometimes during the week, it just didn't work. Things were, as you mentioned, I was on calls at 6.30 a.m. and I was still on calls at 6.30 p.m. and there was no breaks in between. I'd go hike with friends, so which was even better, right? So I got a twofer. But how do you replenish your soul so that you don't get caught up in the crazy cycle and you can help be the person that pulls people back to a calm place? Because with calm demeanors and our heads in a good space, you will come up with a much better answer way faster than you do otherwise. That is really good right there. And I love how you took a test to understand what that is and it's evolved over time. It's kind of like the classic statement, if you don't have time to meditate, then you should probably meditate for twice as long as you have. I still haven't learned how to meditate. That is on my list. It's on a bucket list. I've got to learn how to meditate, but it's totally true. You're doing nobody any favors and you can't feel guilty about it. People feel guilty. It's like, oh my gosh, I have 80 hours of work to do. I can't go to the gym or I can't go sit down and read a book for 45 minutes or I can't, whatever it is that replenishes your soul, that's different for all of us. You've got to keep and maintain. I mean, I'm 55 years old and I can still hike 15 miles a week. No problem. I think I have the same energy I had 10, 20 years ago. But so much of that is how do you take care of yourself to make sure that you're not just there for your team. You're also there for your family and friends and other people, too. So I want to ask this question, and it's related to where I want to take this as well, especially as you are mentoring and leading so many CEOs within your current role as board member, as well as operating partner and whatnot. What is your favorite stage of a company, first off? Because that's hard. You've been a part of every single stage all the way up to public $2 billion companies. I mean, what do you think is like, oh, this is a good one right here? 
I honestly love, I love you've gotten product market fit and you're getting your, how do you build the infrastructure to grow? You know, I always say being a founder is an incredible talent and skill set because not everybody can create something from nothing. Also, not everybody can build. Once you've built something, how do you take it to those next levels? What's funny to me, though, is that you will see CEOs, CROs, at different stages making the same mistake. So some people learn it earlier and get their arms around it some are later. Sometimes that's because of what was happening in the market or the economy or their own company or just their personal sets of experiences. So I see it sometimes at a $25 million company, they have this problem or a $10 million. And I'll also see it at a $700 million company or billion dollars that they're making the same mistakes. When I was at KPMG, I was the global lead partner on Google and Google made a lot of mistakes when they were huge because cash hides a lot of sins. They didn't have to fix things out because they had so much cash pouring in. That's a really, really, I guess, kind of a great problem to have. <laughs> I just said that. I'm not sure I believe it. But it, so much money, your problems don't even matter right? anymore. Right. <laughs> no. Uh, the problem is when the market goes south or you don't make as much money, all those problems get shown. It's like the waves go out and you see who doesn't have the bottom part of their bathing suit. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I've seen it at lots of stages. I think the thing for me that's the most fun is they've realized they need to make a change or they realize they don't know what they don't know and they're asking for help. When you stop and ask for help, that's huge. As a leader, to stop and go, I don't know how to figure this out. It's okay to ask for Again, back to what we were talking about at the beginning. You've got to be humble enough to go, you don't have to figure everything out. You are reinventing a wheel. <laughs> it's like there's a lot of people out there who've done this. And the ones who are kind of going, okay, I'm not going to try to figure out this wheel by myself. I'm going to bring some people on board to help me. That's honestly the most fun. When they stop and call you and go, okay, I've got this thing and I just want to bounce it off somebody else. That is the most fun to me because that's when you know you can really help because they're actually listening and are stopping and going, okay, I need to both learn something that I don't know maybe or at least validate what I'm doing with some other people, you know, in an ecosystem who've been through this. And I think that's where we all benefit. And that's that diversity of thought. And it's not even just necessarily what I think, but it's like, oh, you know what? I know somebody else who might be able to help with that. Or have you talked to so-and-so or this person on your team is really good. Maybe they can help lead this effort. And that has been the most fun. It's been the most fun. And I think when you hit hard times, and you have that team of people around you, it's way easier to get through those hard times than it is by yourself. Yeah. So you are speaking with CEOs all across the board. That's a big part of what your role is now. Correct me if I'm... Yeah, absolutely. CEOs, CFOs, and CROs. That's where I'm spending time. I'm assuming that for many CEOs, especially if they were the founding CEO, that thing is their baby. And even to a point, a lot of their identity or self-worth is tied up in the success of that business. And if people don't like it, it's not that they don't like their platform or product. They don't like that maybe could be what they're taking. And this idea of almost like a flip of the leaders of saying, okay, I am choosing to not just do this on my own, not just have all these problems be my problems, and I'm just going to figure them out. I'm just going to grind through it, but actually be open to it. That's a defining inflection point for a leader in their growth, as well as their maturity. When you are speaking with CEOs, CROs, COOs all over, what are some of the most common things that you are seeing Right now, because we are, you know, we talked about in our last conversation, we're at such an interesting point right now. 
within technology, AI, you mentioned earlier, social issues. I mean, the list goes on. Mental health is a main topic all the time. The new type of leader that businesses in the world seem to be asking for is not the same type of leader that has gotten us to this point today. And so what are you seeing? Like when when you go and you talk to these people, what are they struggling with? What do you feel like they're needing the most? What is the world asking for, I guess? Yeah, I think right now, and it bums me out a little bit, I'll be honest, because when the market turned and that was, you know, early last summer and we started to see things hit in a negative way with obviously budgets getting tighter and CFOs getting involved in conversations and all that. And for some companies, it hit later. It depends on what industry they were in and how much COVID had lifted their sales versus reality of people going back and shopping differently and that sort of thing. So everybody's business hit sometimes in different ways. A lot of them, their first reaction was, my team is screwed up. They get angry because it is their baby. And it's like the baby didn't fail. Something else failed. What failed? It's hard as a leader to try to separate out the market from your team. Because to your point earlier, you're not in everything anymore. And especially as the company's grown and you look at those founder CEOs in particular, they were there from day one of every single detail and they knew it and it made them comfortable. And that was a zone they felt good in. And all of a sudden they're handing it off to all these different leaders taking over those pieces of the business. And it's scary, first of all. So you have to realize these people are scared and they are trying to understand. So they start diving in deep because that's what they know how to do because they remember the details, except the details don't look the same anymore. And so then they're even more scared and they're frustrated. What a lot I'm doing is helping coach through, you've got to breathe and everything we've talked about on the call, quite honestly, Alex, stop and breathe. You've got to come in calm so you can listen and understand and start to separate out because there are issues with the teams. A lot of teams are not doing all the right things, but when the market goes bad, again, those things get amplified because we weren't doing consistent process. We didn't have foundations of how we were understanding the problems of our customers versus selling features of functionality. The market goes south, that gets even worse, right? Your gap is now bigger. So you, there are things you can always fix. So how can you fix them with the team you have? Do you need to make changes? I'm working with them through those types of things to stop and have that balanced perspective. There are some really good ones, I think, who do that naturally, but it's hard. It is hard, especially as a founder CEO. I think it's even harder. You don't have that perspective of all these different companies. And I tell my CEOs, you are not a special snowflake. I said, I know you want to be like so many CEOs. You're all struggling with the same thing. And that's okay. It's great. You are not alone. So know you're not alone. And in that not being alone, there's a lot of things that we could talk about to help you take these next steps and figure out the right answers. And let's parse through kind of the forest through the trees a little bit, because I do think to your point, there's some inflections that have happened. The market didn't do us any favors with this broader look at diversity and social issues like the pandemic helped us bring all that stuff into the workplace. The market changing helped push some of it out of the workplace a little bit, quite honestly, there will be a reckoning. The pendulum always swings. It will swing back into the middle. And I think our current young professionals are now asking for something different. My son's 24 and I see him in his first job and he's expecting something different from his employer. Expecting to have this place where he can be more authentic. He's expecting to have career development and some personal development too. People who can bring that to the table are going to win because you can't just be harsh and yell and threaten people. And you can do that a little bit still today because a lot of those older school 
professionals and leaders are still sitting in those chairs and they remember and they understand it and they know how to function in that environment. But you have a whole group of young professionals who don't even want to be part of that environment. We have to change. This isn't about the market lets you do it, don't do it. It's, it's a reality. You are, I'm seeing that in the market. But at the end of this, there is going to be a reckoning of I want to go work for a company that I can be authentic at, that I can bring my whole self to work at. And that is a change that's out there and it's in the DNA of these young professionals that are in all fields and will be part of how great companies are successful. And that gets back to what we're talking about. It's about listening. It's about having some vulnerability. It's about diversity of thought. And it is about letting that happen in an environment, but also taking leadership and moving things forward. And I think that's the new world. It's here to stay. (laughs) Some people don't want it to, maybe. It is here to stay. It's so well said. So well said. I particularly love when you say, yes, it's going to be important for people to, you know, especially people who just entered in the workforce and even people who, myself included, who have been in the workforce for a little bit. Yes, we want to work on our craft. Teach us how to be better at whether it be selling or a manager, whatever, like teach me the craft, but also teach me how to become a more whole person, more the version of myself that I'm trying to step into, more stepping into my authenticity. And a third one I'm going to add to that, Anna, is make me feel part of a crew, of a team, a community, of something that it doesn't feel like I'm just an individual contributor trying to get mine and that's all. People want that, the craft, the inner game and the community. And if leaders can figure out how to do that, that's a nice little melting pot that they can support their team with. That's a beautiful triumvirate you just articulated. And I think it's so true. You know, everybody wants to feel like they're a part of something and that what they're doing matters. People stay someplace because they got the career development, personal development, and they feel like what they're doing matters. And that's what you hit on. There was a vice president that worked for me who said that they had grown up in a certain environment and had no empathy and didn't know how to lead their team because they had a couple of people having some big personal issues. And they're in my conference room and they were talking about this person literally in tears. And I was like, you have so much empathy. You just have to show it. You're afraid to show it, but you have so much. No, I have none. I'm like, you're sitting here in tears because of the personal issues one of your team members having. So this isn't about you not having empathy. You have a ton of empathy. You need to show it. Just let them see how you feel right now. Not all day, but in a couple of moments. And that is going to mean the world to them. We have to stop and take those moments. I still remember in early 2021, the pandemic was a mess and I lost my little sister. And it was two weeks before the end of our year end. I'm the CRO. I you don't leave the helm of your ship. And my little sister, she was only 38. She had three young kids. She lives in Tennessee. I'm in California. That's when the payback of all the time you spend with your team and the community that you build comes back to you. Because my team came back and said, no, you go. We've got this. And don't you worry. And I left for an entire week. It doesn't sound like a lot, maybe in the scheme of things, but it was huge in the year end of a company in a pandemic. That team pulled all the stops. It was incredible to see. We had our kickoff a few weeks later, and I had to stop and talk about that because it was real. I had a personal issue. As CRO of the company, as a human being, I had a personal issue, and I couldn't do the job that I needed to do as well as I was going to need to do it. But I also had something I had to go take care of because there was nobody else to go take care of it, my family. And if you build this kind of community that you just talked about and the things that we've hit on in this call even so far, it comes back tenfold to you. 
not only performance and growth and the metrics we talk about, but in moments like that, when the team feels like we all matter and we're going to come together because of this. And we've done it for so many other people on the team. I'm not just saying for me, but we've had multiple issues where there was leaders or individuals who had challenges. And you come together in those moments to truly support that person. That also is so critical. You can't just pretend you hear about them in the hallway and you don't do anything to go talk about it or see what help you can provide or what we can do. Yes. Well, first off, thank you for sharing that. And second, I think it's testament to the community that you built at Outreach and, and all the places that you worked, as well as like way to lead by example. Life gets real and work is not just a place to collect a paycheck. This is a place where you fall back when you need to fall back on people and they got your back. Yeah. And that was one of our core values that Outreach got your back. There's so much more meaning to it in so many different ways than what somebody might think. So. I have one more question for you, but before I do, I just want to say you said something in a previous conversation that I really, really loved. We talked, it was on this topic of there's a new type of leader coming through, one who has greater capacity, and you described the new type of leader needs to be part CIO, knowing your product, needs to be part CHRO, and you know how to have empathy and ask how people are doing, and then part CFO and understand all the data and, and all this sort of stuff. And I've thought about that since you told that to me quite a few times. So I just kind of want to give you an opportunity to expand on that if you have anything to add upon that, because I was like, oh, that is so good right there. Yeah, somebody had asked me, and this was probably a year and a half ago, definitely during the pandemic, and they said, what is the new CRO? And I said, it is so different than what we have defined that as historically. I said, because I do. I mean, the, the data has gotten more complicated. The products have gotten more complicated. The leading the team has gotten more complicated. And so I'm not just delivering a revenue number to deliver that revenue number. I have to make sure my team's headspace is in a good place. And I have to figure out what's going on that we may need to be addressing. I have to make sure that I understand how I'll take the CIO piece because the CHRO is that. It's the mental health of my team. And are we in the best place we could be to try to make sure we're addressing what we need to address? It is the CIO to understand not only our own product, but what products out there do I need to make sure my team is successful? And that's a level of technology understanding that's never been in existence for sales leaders, especially before. And then it's that CFO to say, what products do I need to get to get data that I need to actually run this business? And what data helps me understand how to run this business effectively? And so it is this ecosystem of skills that is not just I know how to close a deal. It is how do I make sure all of those things are in play to run a successful organization? It is a, a new era. The technology that everyone's bringing to the table, companies like Catalyst and Outreach and Gong and all these others are pushing the limits of that because saying you have to be more sophisticated about technology. And I talk about this even from the sales process. I said, you know, we get so wrapped up in our own piece of technology, especially as tech companies that have been and are a part of. And, and you forget that the leader that you're talking to, and especially if you're selling in the go-to-market space or go-to-market leader in particular, they don't have time to keep up on all the technology. I said, so don't make them feel stupid. Take a step back and help them understand, hey, I know technology is moving fast. Let me explain to you just in a few seconds, what's been happening and where it's going. And let me help answer any questions you might have, because this is moving so fast. I wouldn't expect you to keep up with it. That's my job. And so let me help you understand what is happening in the space and why things have moved so fast and how our technology then is differentiating in that ecosystem. It's this multi-pronged way of looking at it, not only who you need to be, but who you're talking to, what the expectations of their role are, and where you fit into that spectrum. We all like to think we're like top of mind for all the people we sell to all the time when you're like, if you're lucky, 10% of any thought they had that week. 
So how do you use the time when you have with them as wisely as you can to make them feel like they have a partner in you, not being sold to or talked down to or talked over? And those are critical when you think about who those leaders are, because who those leaders are is evolving so fast. Not everybody can keep up. That's some nuggets right there. That was good. Well, I have one final question, but before I do ask that question, I just want to say, Anna, thank you for just sharing your wisdom. You having the experience between whether it be KPMG or the many companies that you've been a part of and the many companies that you are still leading, influencing today and to impart some of just what you have experienced as well as what you are still learning yourself. And just as much as other conversations, I am leaving this conversation feeling more energized and very excited because I felt like for a lot of this conversation, I was like, is she talking to me directly? <laughs> so thank you. I don't care if anybody else got anything from this. I got something from this and that's the important thing. No, but, but on the real, so thank you for that. My last question is this, and I'm actually going to like adjust this final question just a tiny bit. We have a lot of aspiring leaders who listen to this show, account executives, SDRs, and we have a lot of first time leaders uh, on this show as well. And you are someone who obviously has a lot of experience leading and seeing those people And so my question is, what do you view as the rising leader? And is there a way that you can relate that to those STRs, AEs, or first-time leaders who are wanting to aspire and to move up? Yeah, such a great question. And I think we've talked a lot about you need to make sure you create an environment that is healthy for people to bring their authentic selves. So I think that's foundational. And you need to make sure you're doing that by listening, by being vulnerable, but also don't forget the details. There's one of the things I think that happens in a crazy environment. And as you're aspiring to be a leader is make sure you are also doing what we talked about. If you are coaching your team to help them be their best professional self, like we talked about, you're creating and their best personal self and you're spending that time, you'll understand what they're doing on the ground to know if they are effective and how you coach them next, which then makes your team more successful, which makes you a better leader. You have to make sure you can't let the details just go and assume they're doing all the right things. It is your responsibility as a leader to validate, trust, but verify. (laughs) You can't help coach on all those other things we talked about, on the professional, on the personal, on the building community piece, if you don't understand what's going on. And the best place to do that, if you understand the foundations of what's happening with your team, you can be a way better leader. And I've done that better and worse at times in my own career. And I would say that is one thing, never let it go. You can build those foundations, but always go back and make sure it's like, am I still understanding it? Are things still functioning that way? And if you're doing those two things, building that personal, professional development in that community with your team, and you're going in and validating and creating consistency and process and consistency and understanding how they're working and what they do day to day, you put those two things together and that's magic. So well said. So well said. Well, Anna, thank you so much for being on the show and for all the listeners. Thank you also for tuning in. Please make sure you share this with anybody who does need to hear it. And with that, Anna, thank you again. So awesome to spend some time with you. Thank you. Um, Always here to help. Thanks for listening to the Rising Leader Podcast. Make sure you hit that follow button so you get notified every time a new episode releases. If you know someone who wants to take their lives and their career to the next level, send them this episode so we can all rise together. For more information, check out alluvians.co. We'll see you next time. And in the meantime, 
keep letting it flow. This episode is brought to you by Alluviance. Alluviance is helping sales professionals, sales leaders, and founders master the craft of sales by transforming the inner game. In the past 12 months, we've thrown four retreats and impacted over 100 tech sales leaders, founders on not just getting better at the craft, but really working on the inner game, gaining clarity on their vision, and also overcoming what's holding them back. The best part is you'll be doing it in an incredible community of high performers who are also trying to do the exact same thing. Our next immersion is going to be this May 3rd through 5th in the beautiful Austin, Texas. And make sure you check out alluvians.co to apply there. Can't wait to see you.